All right, Pete Giuliano. It is Saturday, the 1st of February, 2020. The first, our first show of the new year. Once again, we are remarkably late. Yes. Um, hold on, I'm going to turn down the audio in my headphones so that you don't bleed over. Nothing personal, Pete. Okay. I can hear you now. Okay, there you go. But my headphone volume is down because sometimes it jumps right from the headphones. With your enthusiasm, your Italian-American enthusiasm just Ooh. bursts through and jumps into the hey, microphone. Hey, wait a minute. This is number 217. Oh, you almost hey, forgot. Hey, Ralph. Hey, Ralph. Crank it in. Crank it in. 217. An auspicious start late to the new year. Hey, we got to start. I haven't had travelogue to talk about in a long time, but I got some now. Ooh. I almost forgot to mention this. It's been so long. We've been back now for two, three weeks. But we were in the Dominican Republic over the Christmas, New Year's. Well, right after Christmas, we went down. We were there for New Year's. And I guess I should tell our listeners about it, give a report, just like, like in the old days when I was reporting from Italy and London and, and the Azores. All right, so we went off to the Dominican Republic, which is my wife's home country, and we decided to take a uh, Christmas kind of Christmas season break down there. Uh, Billy and Maria came with us. Um, Billy's girlfriend came along and Maria's boyfriend came along. So there were six of us on this trip, which made it a little Ooh. bit more logistically complicated. But uh, but it was it was great fun. And of course, I was debating whether to bring ham radio gear with me or not. And so I, I said to my wife, I don't know if I want to bring this stuff with me. And she said, you must bring it. You'll have fun. Okay, so the rig I chose was the Micro Bidex. The Micro Bidex in the wooden box. It seemed perfect. I mean, I, you have to take a step forward technologically. Last time I was down there with a rig, it was the double sideband rig powered by 10 AA batteries. And I made some contacts. But we were in a better place sunspot cycle-wise back five years ago. And we're in a much worse place now. So I figured it would be good to have actual single sideband uh, capability. And it would also uh, be good to be able to do CW. UBIDX provides the opportunity to do both. Also, it would be good to operate on more than one band, although I figured 20 meters would be my primary band. So anyway, I packed up the micro BIDX. Um, I built a little homebrew key. I made a, I made a straight key out of um, a piece of um, a blade from a hacksaw, some scrap wood, some uh, gorilla tape, and, uh, well, you know, put it all together and you have a little straight key. There's not much to it. Cop copper foil, too, didn't you? I used the copper foil. But anyway, I, the copper foil I found was not making good contact. It seemed to oxidize a bit. And I seemed to, I, I kind of discovered why brass is better. So when I came back, I, I replaced the contacts with from copper foil. And I went into a hardware store and bought a couple little brass um, nuts and bolts and put them in there. It works much better now. But the copper foil worked okay. I just had to clean it every once in a while. I brought an N-fed half-wave antenna. This was inspired by the uh, Peregrino fellows who wrote the article in Sprat Magazine, the, the guys from Spain, uh, the Pilgrim rig. And they, they built that rig with a tuner for an N-fed half-wave and a little uh, kind of SWR indicator using an LED. So I decided I was going to get one of those, and QRP Guys has just the thing. And so I got, I got the QRP Guys N-Fed Half-Wave Tuner, and I also upgraded my, my um, 
Anyway, the tuner allowed me to travel without a big roll of, of RG58U coax, which is, of course, makes things easier when you're going through airport security. It's hard enough when you're carrying all this jazz through airport security. I think a roll of, uh, of coax might just uh, kind of push it over the top. So uh, for power this time, instead of the 10 AA batteries, the, you know, there, is, there has been some technological advances, and part of that is lithium-ion power packs. And I saw one uh, advertise, so, uh, Ham did a, a YouTube video on it. It's a, it's a company called Talent Cell, one word, T-A-L-E-N-T-C-E-L-L, Talent Cell. And um, they make 12-volt uh, lithium-ion uh, power banks. And I got the, uh, the one that has uh, three amp-hour uh, capacity. It's the YB1203000. It's like 25 bucks comes, you know, shipped from China, shows up real fast. Man, this thing works like a charm. It's so small, Pete, it's like a, it's like the size of a deck of cards. So once you charge the thing up, you can actually put it, I put it inside the box with the MicroBidX. I got some of this little uh, hook, hook and eye kind of Velcro tape, put it in there, and it sat, sits there. I would charge it up. I would be able to, I'd be able to run it as long as I wanted, charge it up the next day, it was great. So this was a really, really fun system. As far as the trip goes, we started out at a place called Bavaro on the eastern tip of the island of Hispaniola. We had an apartment right on the beach. The apartment on the beach was great, but it was not great for radio. I couldn't get the antenna up very high, and I just didn't seem to be getting out very well. And I didn't, I didn't feel like kind of disturbing the other, uh, the other people on the beach, you know, throwing rocks up into the trees or anything like that. So I only made one contact from, from Bavaro, and it was with it was actually my first contact of the new year, HK1ANP. The interesting thing was that 2020 wasn't open, so I just sort of fooled around, and with the 20-meter with the end-fed half-wave antenna and counterpoise, I found that I could fire up on 30 meters. I guess with the counterpoise, it, uh, it sort of looked like a 30-meter antenna. And I heard uh, HK1ANP calling CQ on, on 30 meter CW. I gave him a call. I think he thought I was pulling his leg. <laughs> but but uh, Freddie came back. We had a very nice QSO, and that was my first uh, contact of 2020. So after about uh, six days at Bavaro, we, we moved up to a place that we had been to before, where we had been back in uh, 2000, uh, Christmas 2004, up. In, uh, on the Samana Peninsula, which is the, the, the northeast corner of the Dominican Republic. And then we were in the northeast corner of the Samana Peninsula, so as far northeast as you can go in, in the DR. And it's a, a place called Bahia Rincón, which means the corner bay. And, uh, and it's like a little bay that's kind of juts off of the, the Samana Peninsula. Spectacularly beautiful, really amazing. And that was a much better location for radio. We had the house. We had had two balconies. I put pictures of it up on the uh, on the blog, and they were almost exactly one half wavelength apart at twenty meters. It was like the house was built for twenty meters. So I strung my NFED halfway between the uh, the two balconies. And again, I have pictures up on on the the Solar Smoke blog. And man, I fired up that station. Holy cow! It was great. I'm running ten watts from the uh, from the micro bit X, mostly on CW. Working stations all over the United States. I worked into uh, Belarus. Um, worked, uh, you know, a, a, a lot of European stations. A lot of stations in the U.S. Uh, 
and and even an aeronautical mobile station. One morning I was out there before the band came up. It was like an open air ham shack, and I'm listening to a dead 20 meter band. I found that the band didn't really open up at all until uh, local sunrise. So this was just a bit before local sunrise, and um, all of a sudden a booming signal comes through. It's amazing in uh, you know American accented English which was surprising, but really strong on a completely dead band. And it was an aeronautical mobile station. It was a pilot in a 767 flying from Miami to uh, Trinidad and Tobago. And I later checked with um, the, uh, the, the service FlightAware, where you could track, track flights. And his course took him almost, almost directly over me. You know, I, I, I kicked myself because if I looked up, I might have seen the lights from the aircraft. Uh, that's how close he was. But, um, you know, you, 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 your mind is not, you're, you're, you're accustomed to being in an indoor ham shack. And I was so concentrated on tuning him in that I didn't look up. But there he was. And we had this, this wonderful contact. And uh, it was terrific. So, but Pete, I missed the opportunity for the real DX. Do you remember? I told you the story. Do you remember what I told you? Yeah, you did. But it just doesn't flash in my mind right now. Oh man, I'm glad. It's for me. It's like a painful memory. So, I um, I realized I better get a video of the uh, of the ham shack, and you know, uh, like a dummy, I didn't tilt the the phone horizontally. Uh, Paul, I think uh, in 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 Australia has reminded me of this. But um, anyway, I, I I got the video, and um, I'm just as in the course of shooting the video, I've got some CW playing in the background so that uh, guys can get a sense of what uh, what uh, what what the bands sound like from from the Samanau Peninsula in the Dominican Republic. And I hear a call sign, and I think it's an HB station, a Swiss station, which would have been fine and expected. It was just shortly after sunrise. The band was open to Europe, and I said, "Well, you could hear me in the video. It's the video that's up on the blog. Yeah, there's an HB station. That's uh, that's kind of interesting. There you go. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah." Oh man, it wasn't HB. It was HS, Thailand. Wow. Thailand, yeah. And he was strong. I could have worked him. It could have been great. Could have been some real, real exotic DX from a, from an exotic location. But because I was fooling around with my iPhone, fooling around with the digital internet stuff, I missed the opportunity to make, to work the HS station. Oh man. Bummer. There's just there's there's a lot you know. The, I I think here is another. The radio gods have spoken. I should have been, well. I should have been on the air. But 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 there's another piece to that. Uh, that that tells you something about the microbitics. Oh, it's nice. It's a nice rig. Yeah, I mean it. It's sensitive enough to pick up those DX stations and uh, just the the number of stations you work at ten watts and and you know. You're not running a beam, but uh, certainly uh, the, the uh, NFED antenna is uh, doing a really good job for you. So uh, nice combination, Bill. Well, you know, this gives us, I think we should just jump ahead in the schedule here a little bit because we'll talk a little bit about the MicroBidX. It was really a good rig, and I'm using the original version 3 of the MicroBidX. And I, I, as I used it down there, I was sort of taking notes on things that I might do to uh, to improve especially if i ever take it on on kind of portable operations again and so the first thing i i noticed is that the the side tone was kind of loud and this is really important on vacation because when you're up at five o'clock in the morning you don't want to be necessarily waking up <laughs> everyone oh, yeah. else in the household 
but the side tone was was kind of loud, and I couldn't adjust the volume on the side tone. So I decided to put a just put a pot in the side tone line from the Raduino because the CW tone just comes from the uh, the Raduino kind of SI fifty three fifty one Arduino Nano unit. And I found the line, I found the spot on the board. When I got back, I put a little trimmer pot in there, and it works great. I could really turn down the volume, so that was good. The key, like I said. I, th- I found that pounding brass is better than pounding copper foil. So it just makes the contact better. So I put the, the brass brass screws in there. That makes it better. Here's the other thing. You know, um, the, the Microbitics is a basically, it's an SSB rig with a, with a filter at, at about, I think it's about like, it's, it's pretty narrow. I think it's like 2.1, 2.2 KCs wide, which is, you know, tight, but good for, for sideband, but... You know, if you're using it on CW, you're hearing a whole bunch of other CW signals in there because you only need like 500 KCs, even 200 KCs on CW. That's all you really need. And that's five all. Five to ten stations are all in that bandwidth. Right, right. It's, 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 a, it's too many. And now I talked to Farhan about this and he suggested building a, a 12 megahertz filter at CW bandwidth and being able to switch that in. And then you'd have to kind of switch the uh, the VFO frequency also. That would be important too. And I just said, oof, it just sounds like a lot. You know, that sounds like a lot. Going in there, going on the board, on the Microbitics board, trying to kind of wedge in there another filter, trying to figure out how to change the code so that when I go to CW, it changes the BFO frequency. It just seemed like a lot of a lot of pain for me. And so what I decided to do instead is something that I've been thinking about for a long time, and that is using an active audio oh, yeah. CW filter. So the and this is especially attractive with a rig like the Microbitics because it's not like you're using a a, um, a, du- a dual conversion or, or double sideband dual you know, direct conversion receiver. If you have a direct conversion receiver, you know you're still going to be hearing the other sideband. It's going to reduce the number of stations you hear, but you're going to be hearing uh, you know a, a 600 hertz signal. Where where you want it, and if there's anybody 600 KC 600 cycles in the other direction, you're gonna you're gonna hear it too. You know, so not 600 cycles in the other direction, but on the other on the other side of zero beat, you're gonna hear it too. So uh, it with a, with a, with a direct conversion receiver, it gives you some benefit, but not it doesn't give you single signal reception. However, with a rig like the MicroBitX, which is already taking care of the other side of zero beat. Um, you're narrowing the, the passband, and you are getting going to be able to get what we used to refer to as single-signal CW reception. So anyway, I have on order an active AF filter from Four States QRP guys. The Four States QRP Club has a, a filter that looks really good. It's got, um, I think it's got four op amps in there, and it looks like it's, it's really selective. They have a, there's a good YouTube video up there. The website has lots of info on it and uh it it uh it looks like it's just just the ticket so that that is on the way here's something else um that i, I wish i had down there i, I have a, i have a speaker in the box for the micro x that i put in there works great but i wanted to use headphones so i figured i would just plug my walkman not my walkman my <laughs> walkman i'm dating myself my iphone headphones in there and then I'd be able to listen, but they're not the right impedance, and it obviously the audio amplifiers are not doing well. Also, the iPhone headphones are stereo, and the output from the Micro X is obviously mono. So I got one of these little stereo um, um, 
mono to stereo or stereo to mono adapters, but you still got an impedance problem there because I, I it works. Now I hear the uh, audio in both of the phones inside in my ears, but if I if I crank up the gain a little bit, it's obviously overdriving and, and distorting. So what kind of headphones, what, what, what impedance headphones should I use coming out of the micro bit X? I haven't even checked, but I'll have to get some uh, headphones of the right impedance so I can take them with me. Hopefully earbuds, earbuds are great for a trip like this because they take up very little space and you could also listen to, to, to your iPhone with it. But that's one other thing I want to do. And then finally, uh, the, the mod on the on the Ubidex and Farhan had mentioned putting a switch. I think he mentioned this in conjunction with the Antuino. He talked about putting a switch in there so he could just turn off the display, the the 16 by 2 LCD display there, because that was seen as a kind of a big power hog or a current hog. Um, and I, I thought about doing that, and I was thinking about how to turn off the display. But then I, I kind of, with, with this little watt meter, this little DC current meter that we were talking about last time, I took a look at the, uh, the, the, how much current the MicroBitX was pulling from the 12-volt power supply. And then I, I just disconnected the, uh, the LCD display completely to see how much current saving I would get. It's minimal. I mean, it's, it's pulling like, I think it's pulling like 20 milliwatts, 20 milliamps. Um, so... That's not even really hardly worth doing uh, when you look at the, the power consumption. S similarly, I have a little mic amp, a little outboard mic amp that I built and I, that, that is on all the time. It's powered even when the, the rig is in receive, which is a waste of, of current. But I looked at how much current it was actually pulling, and again, it's minimal. So in both cases, it wasn't even worth it to put switches in there. Anyway, we're, we're working on it. I'm, I'm kind of excited about the, the four-state QRP active AF filter that should be coming in soon. But um, I'll, I'll put that in there. And if I could get it down so that I'm only listening to one CW station at a time, that'll be, that'll be really, really cool. I'll report on that in the next podcast. But, uh, hey, three cheers for uh, QRP guys for that NFED half-wave tuner. Really great. And then... Uh, also, three cheers for the talent cell, folks. That's a really good little power supply. I, ask, I think you guys should consider it in your next uh, kind of portable mobile operation. One other thing, Pete, and, and guys from the podcast listeners will get a kick out of it. If you look at the pictures of, uh, uh, of the, the operation from the Dominican Republic, you'll see I, I brought along a microphone, and I, I rigged up a little. I just needed a little Electrat mic to, uh, to drive the MicroBitX. I did build the outboard amplifier circuit just a one your one transistor audio amplifier and but the, but the microphone that went along was the old solder smoke podcast microphone <clears throat> that was it that was <clears throat> it and it, it's 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 continue it continues to live it's no longer in the podcast but that's the one we i used from here for for many years that was the one that was kind of wrapped up in the uh in the tissue paper with the rubber band and the homebrew microphone yeah. and all that We've moved on. We've moved up in the world. Here we are, Pete. Yeah, oh, that's great. All right. So you've got a lot of stuff happening on your bench. Tell us uh, what's going uh, on yeah, at six QW. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, one, one thing I was working on uh, several years ago, uh, I I got a PMR six A receiver and by Multi LMAC, and uh, actually I got the receiver after I got. The transmitter, the matching transmitter, the AF67 Transciter, and this was quite the quite the mobile pair. 
uh, back in the day. This is the uh, 1950s. And uh, what happened was, uh, matter of fact, it had to do with the, uh, with the BitX40. Uh, the local radio club here was interested in a presentation uh, on the BitX40 when they uh, first came out. And uh, I, I, did, I did a presentation for him, but the, the guy, my contact guy there for the club, uh, he was very interested in getting uh, one working. So I, he, he didn't feel comfortable about building an AD9850, and he didn't feel real comfortable about uh, putting in display and what have you. So I, I built all the hardware for him. I had stuff here, and I said, here, you know, just, just take it and enjoy using it so uh, he he liked that this is before the Rajuino came out so uh he happened to send me an email and said hey there's a guy that's a silent key uh that um they're they're getting rid of his stuff and he sent me some pictures and i said oh man i said that's an af67 transiter i haven't seen one of those in a long time i was oh yeah kind of cool so a couple days later he calls me and says uh hey how about meet me at this mcdonald's and he said i want to give you something i said okay he opens his trunk and he hands it to me so i said okay so so i had the transmitter and it didn't have the receiver and i subsequently found the receiver but it had no power supply you know you gotta we gotta, gotta interrupt you guys gotta be careful you know two two guys in california meeting at a mcdonald's and exchanging yeah. stuff out of the trunk i mean yeah you know yeah what it was radio think? gear oh, right. <laughs> it was yeah. radio gear. radio okay all right yeah good. radio gear so uh, so anyway uh i i i got the matching receiver and actually it was in pretty good shape but uh and I bought some of the parts for a power supply, but never never got around to building it. And I said, you know, I either ought to put it in a box somewhere or sell it or build the power supply. So one of the first projects I worked on was a power supply. And that was kind of kind of a lot of fun. Um, it's even it's even a metered supply. So you can see the voltage. And uh, I, I built a circuit board for it and got the, all the right components and ran into something uh, very interesting. I bought a, the transformer I bought. Uh, it was a power transformer combined plate and filament only had a 6.3 volt AC winding uh, on it. Now sometimes these older power transformers also had a 5 volt filament winding and you could series those two and get close to 12 volts but uh, the PMR6A is a 12 volt it came in 6 and 12 volt version mine happened to be the 12 so I needed 12 volts so I went and looked at uh, getting a 3 amp uh, 6.3 volt uh, power transformer so i could series it with the six volt 6.3 volt three amp supply uh winding in the transformer and it was like 12 bucks just to get a filament transformer boy things have really gone up uh, you don't run many filaments anymore so then i looked and i bought a 12 volt dc supply at five amps for eight bucks <laughs> so i said that man that's the answer <laughs> so i just incorporated the uh and and now i got a nice uh 12 volt uh uh you know six amp power uh, power supply built into the rig so everything works fine as a matter of fact uh if you can do it you eliminate one source of hum in the radio receiver if you can put uh, dc on the filaments so anyway, I got that working, and uh, the design was uh, 260 volts, and sure enough, uh, when you look at the plate meter, it's 260 volts, so uh, receiver works pretty well, and uh, kind, of, kind of interesting, um, that you know, you can run it on sideband, and if you peak it up, you overdrive the detector, because it's not a real product detector. 
Yeah. And uh, so uh, you know, you just you do detune. It has an has an RF tune, an antenna tune. If you detune it, it, it works pretty well. I'm doing the same thing with the HRO receiver here. Yeah. When I when I run it when I run it without the product detector, if if the station is really strong. It, it'll overload it'll yeah. overload it, and it's it, it, it's just it, it the effect is the same of kind of over modulating an am transmitter you don't have enough yeah. carrier there go ahead yeah, i'm sorry yeah so anyway uh, i i posted on the blog and i got uh, a few uh few comments back uh, one guy told me that uh, when he first got started uh, his elmer had one of those in his car uh this is the uh, af67 and the pmr6 an elmer uh, with an lmac yeah, and he said he was riding along with him, and, and this was somewhere in the Midwest, and, and and on 10 meters, he worked the station in Germany. He said, that's what hooked me on ham radio. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, wow. Yeah. But anyway, uh, I'm, I'm trying to build a uh, 1930s uh, matching transmitter to go with that. And uh, right now, I, I took a piece of advice from uh, Bill Mira, and, and that is when something doesn't work just exactly like you want it, uh, put a towel over it and put it on the shelf facing away from you and think about it for a couple of days. I got three crystals, and, and all the crystals are good, and only one of them works in there, which tells me something is not exactly right with the circuit constants. Um, I didn't have uh, the exact... Um, value of uh rf chokes it uses three of them and so i i came close and well sort of close and i suspect that that's the problem in one case it's not enough inductance in another case it's too much so i'm just uh kind of noodling through that but i uh, it, it does oscillate and does put out a signal but doesn't put out very much power and only one of the crystals so uh, well you know i had uh, the same problem when i was fooling around with the et2 i had you know the, those rocks are very kind of uh uh, idiosyncratic <laughs> you know yeah. is one of the, one of the rocks would be fine and then i would go to a, the same style ft243 crystal i'd plug it in there and it just wouldn't work it would be slow it'd be sluggish yeah. you know i think i think they the, the plates inside up against the crystal get some sort of corrode get sort of kind of corrosion on them or something like that so finicky yeah. stuff yeah. So anyway, uh, I'm just uh, I'm noodling through that before I you you know the first impulse is to tear into the thing and unsolder everything and don't don't do that. Uh, <laughs> think 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 about it a little bit before my you do nightmare, that. My nightmare, my nightmare about taking yeah, all the yeah, parts off the board. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to do that. So, uh, but when I when I get the 1930s uh, matching transmitter, I I'm thinking about putting the PMR6A in the matching 30s transmitter on the air, but. Uh, I gotta, I gotta get that thing uh, working better, uh, or or working satisfactorily with all crystals and more power output. The tubes are good. Uh, I got, I got three tubes, uh, three of the same tube for eight bucks. So you you can't go wrong there. Not a, not a lot of money invested. Oh man, it's, uh, it, I, that, I I really like the sound of the receiver. I thought the receiver sounded yeah, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. It sounds actually, it sounds better on CW than it does in sideband, but that's because you're you're what you're how, how you're detecting the CW. Um, the other thing that uh, I wanted to share was, uh, and this is almost uh, in line with um, software versus hardware-defined radios, Bill. Mm. And um, you were so kind as to send me two BitX forties. And I have both of them working now. And and the first one, uh, I went in and I disabled the um, disabled the BFO crystal. 
and um, uh, with a with the my own design since the Raduino that came with it, there there's something not right with it. It's not producing RF. I designed my own Raduino with my own cool display, and uh, came up with the upper and lower. After a little experimentation, found the proper upper and lower sideband crystal uh, frequencies, and I got that working. So here it is. It's hardware uh, to. Uh, to uh, enable you to operate upper sideband and lower sideband so the 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 essentially the bfo crystal is uh, disabled on the board and everything is done within the arduino so the second version uh i thought about it a bit and i kept the onboard bfo and the way i came up with operating upper sideband or lower sideband the normal LO frequency on the BitX 40s, and it was done for I think a, a very good reason, is at 5 megahertz because you got to have a 12 megahertz IF, and so the subtractive difference uh, gives you 7 megahertz. And I think the reason that they they started with the 5 was originally it had a Varactor tuned oscillator, uh, so you you want to keep the frequency relatively low to achieve stability. And of course uh, we, we know that. Uh, Soon that was a problem in itself that the frequency had moved around a little bit and they came up with the Raduino. So, uh, but the normal operation with the BFO crystal in the BitX40 is 5 megahertz. So then I thought about it and I said, what if in software I shifted the LO from 5 megahertz for lower sideband and shifted that to 19 megahertz for upper sideband? So this way, when I injected the LO uh, in there at 19 megahertz, you'd get a sideband reversal, and instead of producing lower sideband, it'd be upper sideband. You know, this, so was, when you, this was really brilliant. I remember when you told me about this. At first, I said, no, 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 it's not going to work, because we, we had been talking about the micro bit X, mm -hmm. and the micro bit X is, uh, is dual conversion. And I had commented about how it was kind of cool that in the micro bit X, by the time it gets to the to the to the crystal filter, everything is upper sideband, and so you came back and you said, "Wait, wait a second, wait a second. Maybe on the on the on the bit X forty, I could sort of do something similar, right? Yes, yeah. And, but then shift the the VFO frequency from the low side to the high side. And at first, I didn't understand that. I made that I made the grave mistake of doubting. The Wizard of Newberry Park, and I said, "Pete, no, man, it's you can't. It's apples and oranges. The, you know, the, the micro bit X is dual conversion, bit X forty single conversion." But then, like just like five seconds later, I suddenly understood what you were saying, and this is a really cool way of doing it. I think you may be the only one doing it this way. Yeah. Well, the, the other thing that I discovered, Bill, is when I first did it, a lower sideband worked fine and an upper sideband worked but the signals levels were way down and then i looked at the schematic the way uh the raduino is introduced is there's a two pin header and essentially you're you're disconnecting the the tuning part the tuning part of the uh, five megahertz which was it's a cole pitts oscillator and it's got two uh, thousand picofarad capacitors in series as part of the cole pitts and so when you introduce a, a, a LO from the, from the Raduino or an other external device, it's, it's feeding already circuit constants that are set up for 5 megahertz. Right, the problem is when you put 19 megahertz in there, it's like a short circuit. Those, those caps are taking it right to ground. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what I, what I did is I, bi I, put it, I injected the signal later beyond that 
what was formerly the oscillator stage, then everything works fine. So you get the, you know, the equal signal levels at 5 megahertz as well as uh, 19 megahertz. So that works really good, and you didn't have to diddle with the BFO. You, this this is really good, and this gets to, you know, this business of sideband inversion, I mean, it, it, yeah. it, it drives some guys for crazy. You. They think it's some sort of mysterious kind of physics. It, no, it, it's arithmetic is what it is. Yeah. It's, it's basically addition and subtraction. But and I learned this from one of the ARRL books. There's the rule of thumb to to determine whether sideband inversion is going to take place or not is this: think about the mod the signal that is modulated. You've got two signals in there. You've got the the the, the LO or the VFO signal that is not modulated. You've got the signal coming in from the antenna that is modulated. Right? Yep. If you are subtracting the modulated signal from the other one sideband inversion in all other yeah. cases no sideband inversion so just yeah. ask yourself am i subtracting to get to get to the to the if frequency am i subtracting the modulated signal from the unmodulated signal if so sideband inversion if yeah. not no sideband inversion so that i mean that's that's really the principle that you that you exploited in figuring out how to get both upper and lower sideband through the BX40 without messing with the BFO frequency. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, it worked, works cool. And, uh, I, I mean, this has lots of possibilities. And, and it takes just a few lines of code. I mean, I had to screw around with the code. Now, one of the things that uh, uh, you give up doing this, the, the first version has two separate VFOs. Um, the, the, the second version where you just shift the, uh, it's a little more complex to do that, but, but not a problem because the only reason I'd want to shift the VFO is to be able to swing down, uh, to do FT8, uh, on upper sideband. So I'm saying, why do I need two VFOs? Uh, when in fact, what I really wanted to do with the second VFO is to be able to tune down there. So automatically the boot up frequency uh, when you when you switch from upper sideband to lower sideband, the uh, boot up frequency becomes FT8, and then you can even tune that down to whisper. So it's a real good and and I I work FT8 stations with the uh, BitX40 uh, running only about five watts, so it it works. It, I mean, it's a real you you have to. I I, I didn't look at Farhan's code to see what you'd have to do to do that, so I just designed my own code and. Uh, I put something up on the BitX reflector, and I had all two people contact me, and the second guy said, that's too hard. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah, well, yeah. Oh, well. And, the, and the final thing that, uh, and actually this is something I saw on the BitX reflector. Good friend of mine, Charlie Hill, W5BAA. Uh, I go back to the 1970s with Charlie Hill when he uh, published an article on the LM373 single IC, single... 20-meter single sideband transceiver that he uh, designed and built. And I think it appeared in Ham Radio Magazine or 73, one, one of those. And, I mean, I was just taken by it. And, um, matter of fact, my next-door neighbor at the time, who was also a ham, he and I built it. And it really worked. And so I first ran into him uh, back in the 70s. And then uh, here about 10, 12 years ago, uh, I ran into him um, – on the uh, Austin, uh, Austin, Texas QRP Club. And uh, he had some um, soft rocks that he wanted to sell and I bought from him. So uh, I, uh, I, I, I got those from him. So, I, I, you know, it's more than just 
casual we exchange emails and things like that he came up with with a new uh, project using a special microcontroller called the discovery board it's the um, uh, it's from Thompson microcircuits the uh, 769 it's a, a microcontroller he came up with a project that this is a um, FT8 transceiver that with this microcontroller gives you the waterfall and has all the code built into it so you can operate FT8 with the logging and, and everything else. So you take a, an outboard transceiver and just plug it into Charlie's board and, and away, you, away you go. So uh, I then thought about uh, a new product from uh, PJRC up there in Oregon. They built the Teensy microcontrollers. And the Teensy microcontrollers start out with the 3.1, 3.2, 3.5, 3.6. And um, there, they there a lot. There's been a lot of projects. There's a couple of a uh, couple of guys have built um, SDR transceivers around this series of microcontrollers. Matter of fact, uh, Charlie Morris down in New Zealand, ZL2 CTM, has a Teensy 3.5 uh, uh, microcontroller running a, an SDR transceiver. You know, you you he had one version that had a waterfall, but now it's mostly LCDs. But uh, it's it's a true transceiver. And I built one, and I had a, a few a few hiccup problems with it, and uh, I, I then switched over to the uh, using the uh, Raspberry Pi. But uh, now they have a new one called the Teensy 4, and this Teensy 4 is a um, $20 microcontroller operating at 600 megahertz. And by the way, it programs with the uh, Arduino IDE. You you uh, you download an ancillary program so that when you uh, look at the processors in the Arduino IDE, suddenly the Teensy show up, and it's uh, all of them do. The latest uh, version shows uh, three one, three two, three five, three six in the four zero. So uh, I got one for nineteen bucks in a codec board, and uh, I'm going to see if I can. Uh, uh, carry on with what Charlie did with uh, the 3.5. He he does have one operating at 4.0, and he's got a nice uh, color TFT display working with that. So um, I, I'm looking at maybe doing something uh, with the Teensy 4.0. I do have a Teensy 3.5, and I dug that out and kind of got that operating. The latest blog shows uh, I got that kind of on the bench right now, uh, trying to get that working uh, satisfactorily. And so the idea is if you get the 3.5 working, then move to the 4.0. I, I, I don't want to smoke a 4.0. <laughs> so that's that's what's on the bench, Bill. Man, Pete, you, you have, uh, just in, the, in your description of what's on the bench, I was just thinking, you have spanned about 90 years of radio technology. Yeah. yeah. You, you're, you're working on 1930s era transmitters yeah. and, and like kind of cutting edge SDR stuff right now. Yeah, and the business about the Teensy and all, I think the, the key point there is that you're trying to do not you're trying to do with a with just a microcontroller. Yes, what had been done, just, what you were working on just a few weeks or months ago that required kind of a full computer, a Raspberry Pi, right? Yes, correct. Oh man, so this is hey, the, the exciting stuff. Hey, hey, by the way, something something just to share with you and 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 I, you need to go to the shameless commerce division here in a second and, and it's all prompted by amazon do you know that you can buy uh what they called renewed computers desktop computers with windows 10 professional on them for a hundred bucks on amazon 
Oh man. And and some of them come with like uh, 500 gigabyte hard disk drives, and and a Windows 10 Professional, <laughs> not not the home version. Windows 10 Professional, 100 bucks. They're they're renewed. And I was thinking of getting one of those because I got to tell you, uh, the Teensy stuff, I don't want to corrupt uh, my Arduino IDEs that it's on my main computer. So I'm actually, I have a flash drive with all the Teensy stuff on it. So I plug that into my computer so I keep things isolated. And uh, so I don't corrupt what I've got here. I mean, the, the worst thing you can have, I, you know, there's about three versions of the SI5351 software libraries yes libraries (laughs) so i said libraries are for books yes so i said well man you don't want to get wrapped up in your underwear there so everything that i'm doing with the teensy is is on the on a flash drive but then i said maybe i ought to just look at one of the matter of fact one of them is 99 dollars and 99 cents and it's got a 500 gigabyte hard disk drive are they laptops windows 10 no these are desktops wow for a hundred bucks, it'd be good. You know, it's it's good to have one just sitting next to the bench too to run some stuff. You know, yes, sometimes you, yes. Sometimes I could use another one. What, yeah. My my thing is, I, I I inherit my kids' computers. Yeah. When they when they decide that something is no longer you know fast enough or, or cool enough, I get it. So I have in my I have an office on the other side of the house, and I'm running there a Chromebook. <laughs> yeah. What you what you what you what you enter is desktop computer clearance. All right. We'll take a look. Hundred hundred bucks, and and some of them even for the hundred bucks, they throw a keyboard and mouse in. <laughs> oh man! And, and and most of them have a, like a ninety day warranty. They're yeah. they're renewed. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and I mean, there's a lot of them there in the eighty dollar range, but they got the Windows Seven Professional on them. I wouldn't do that. But but the ones with the Windows Ten Professional, ninety nine dollars and ninety nine cents, five hundred gigabyte hard disk drive, and um, I mean, and these are like. HP, uh, Dell, Compaq, you know, you know, these are not like a no-name Lenovo's. Oh, so, man. I mean, these are these are all, you know, standard product lines. So I'm saying, man, what a way to get a, and then you can get a a really nice. And the other thing too is make sure you find one with an HDMI. Uh, you can get a nice HDMI display for you know sixty bucks. So. You know, for about $160, you got a, a whole shop computer that's got Windows 10 Professional on it, and it's got got enough hard disk drive that, you know, it won't be your main computer, but it'll be sure good to run Arduino, and you don't worry about corrupting things. And when you run off to Amazon to buy these fantastic computers that Pete is telling you about, be sure to do it through yes. the Amazon box on the yes. soldersmoke.blogspot.com Shameless page. Commerce. The Shameless <laughs> yes. Commerce Division. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that, I, some guys have been saying that they can't see the box. I know it's kind of shaky. Um, I think... Depends what software uh, library you got. I know, I know, I know. And, and, and I've over the years, I've tried to fix it. I, I'm, I'm reluctant to mess with it because I think Amazon would like to have the whole thing going away. Obviously, I'm cutting into their profits big time. So they would like to, if I mess with it, it's liable, I'm liable to lose the ability to have yeah. it there at all. So I thank everybody for their patience in trying to find the thing. I know sometimes you can't find it. But if you can, it's up in the upper right-hand corner of the soldersmoke.blogspot.com page. And just start your Amazon search there. Hey, I recently used it, Pete, because listening to you talk about this with, I think you were talking to, to Dean. And I was reminded that I was running low on Deoxid D5. I think we yeah. were talking about the LMAC. With with Grayson over over there, yeah, and uh, 
So I, I ordered up and I've got a fresh new can of Deoxit D5. Something that you all should have, especially if you're messing with older older gear like like we do. Deoxid D5, it's the, uh, as, as they used to say in Ireland, it's the Pope's pee. Yes. It's, be- it's far better than WD-40. WD-40, if you spray it as, you try to use it as a contact cleaner, not really too good. But uh, Deoxid D5, it's just magical. So I would get some of that stuff. Thank you for, well, for this for reminding me about the Shameless Commerce Division. Yeah, and, and the other thing you want to look for, too, in uh, do some searching, if you happen to work with old tube-type boat anchors, is find a Sencor Mighty Might 2 tube tester. Oh, yeah. And uh, I got one for about 39 bucks. And uh, matter of fact, someone sent me an email uh, a regular solder smoke listener he said yeah when i used to run a shop he said i had about five or six tube testers but the one i always went to was the scent core and uh what i would i haven't talked about is i, I managed to pick up a collins kwm2 really cheap and the guy says it doesn't work on transmitter receive and i sort of suspected what the problem was three tubes bill Th- three tubes tested them on the mighty might and they were crap Put three tubes in there, and the thing is working. You know, I was listening, Pete, to the um, the uh, uh, Ham Radio Workbench uh, podcast, which I, I you know, it really, it, it's a nice podcast, and and you know, most of it is sort of beyond me in terms of technology. But every once in a while, they dip down into the uh, lower end of the technology spectrum or the older end of the technology spectrum. They had while, while I was driving across the Dominican Republic, they did a show on uh, Collins gear. And I, I, there were two shows that they've done, one a while back and one more recently on, on kind of old tube-type gear. And it was really interesting. And the, the Collins guy was saying that he said something that I didn't, I didn't really, I hadn't heard before, but I want to hear what you think about it. He was saying that in terms of being able to work on gear uh, and having gear that has enough room inside the box for you to work on it, the S-Line is far better than the KWM-2. He was saying that with the KWM2, they tried to cram a lot of components and a lot of technology into one box, and it makes it kind of a difficult rig to work on, whereas the S-Line, it's got a lot more, uh, well, it's got the transmitter in one box, the receiver in another, and it makes it easier uh, to work on, easier to get stable. What do you think, Pete? Yes, absolutely. As a matter of fact, uh, when I work on the uh, Collins KWM2, I have a roll of aluminum foil. And the reason is, if you want to get a circuit out, there's absolutely no way you, I mean, a component out of a circuit, there's absolutely no way you can do it without burning a lot of wires around it. It's so compact in there. So what I do is I take aluminum foil and, and I create a, a, a aluminum foil dam just around the part that you want to get at because otherwise you're going to burn wires or burn other components. I well, mean, what a great idea. Must, I've, I've been yeah, melting insulation on wires here all for the last two weeks because I didn't do something like that. But that's a great idea. Yeah, aluminum foil. Just remember to take it out yeah. <laughs> before you turn it back <laughs> on. But but seriously, well, they must have hired a lot of ladies with small hands. Holy I mean, that's the, that's the only way. You guys with the gorilla-sized hands, you can't build that radio. But, you're well, essentially take another kwm2 and and you've got a receiver and and a transmitter you so there's a lot more room i mean you got twice the amount of room using two separate boxes so that's absolutely true yes well, you I, know, I would agree it, with that for me you know having started out as a 13 year old all collins gear was seen as so un, you know uh, impossibly expensive and unobtainable i still have these attitudes now 40 years later 
And I still think of it as like I just couldn't possibly afford any of that kind of gear. And so I would kind of lumped the S-Line and the KWM2 together in my mind. But when, when this guy was talking about the differences between the two, I thought that was, was, was really interesting. Hey, one other little tip along the lines that you were talking about. Like I, I've been going into gear and I know that I'm going to go make some changes. I'm going to pull out a relay. I'm going to pull out a part. And I'm going to have to put it back. And now I know, you know, I'm going to forget which wire goes to which terminal. Pictures. And all this. I grab that iPhone that's yes. always sitting next to me. And I yes. take a, a before picture. And I'm amazed how many times, just a few minutes later, I have to take a look at that picture to make sure that I'm hooking up the right wire to the right post on the, on Ab- the SPL1. A- absolutely, yes. Yes, you're, you're absolutely spot on. That's absolutely uh, what I do all the time. So, y- yes, indeed. Look but, at this, uh, guys. News you know, that you can use here on the Solder Smoke Podcast. One thing I'm going to share with you, and that's I'm amazed at the frequency stability of the Collins PTO. It's very big of you to say that, Pete. I, I, I'm amazed because it, it really is, you can set it on a frequency and come back an hour later. I mean, after it warms up, set it on the frequency, come back an hour later, it's there. You know, just to be kind, I'm going to come back and say to you that I am also deeply impressed by the frequency stability of the SI5351. Yes. <laughs> there you go. There you go. There you go. Fair and balanced. Okay. Hey, what what's on your bench, Bill? Oh, okay. What's, well, what do you I've, got I've, going I've, there? I've, I've been messing with my HRO-ish receiver. This receiver started out when our friend Armand, WA1UQO, gave me the, the dial for an old HRO receiver. It was such a beautiful piece of gear basically a reduction drive with these great little numbers that change on the dial as you tune it this is the dial that won world war ii that beat the nazis all that great stuff so i decided basically to build a receiver around it i used a box that our friend tim sutton had provided me big big aluminum box i built the whole thing on a breadboard um i i decided to use a 455 kc if and to just to make a single conversion, uh, it started out with 40 meters, and uh, and I made it. I made the the bandpass filter at the front end of the receiver tunable, thinking that I could go up and down a little bit, which turned out to be okay. And I built it, and I went through. It's I've been I've been poking at it and working on it. It's got two TIA amps, termination insensitive amplifiers, in there, um, both at 455. And the idea was to put uh, the, the filter between the two of them, and then that would make it easier to adjust the impedances on the two going into and coming out of the filters. That worked fine, and then it goes, well, basically the lineup is bandpass filter that's tunable, 40673 RF amplifier just to, to present a high impedance to the bandpass filter. From there, TIA amp- no, from there, um, first mixer, the VFO is analog and is tuned by the big HRO dial. From there, we have 455KC goes through the TIA amp, then it goes through the, the filters, then it goes through another TIA amp, then it comes to the product detector. The other product detector, also an SBL1. That knocks it down to audio, and then I got a couple stages of audio amplification in there. But what I wanted to do also is I wanted to make this also an AM receiver. So I needed a wider filter. I originally made one using two 455 KCIF cans. It didn't really work well. It was kind of ugly. It was a real kludge. 
And then I had to come up with a, a detector that's not the product detector. And so I built a, a, a several different versions of AM detectors, starting out with the standard germanium diode, but then using some other circuits that seemed to promise to work better. But none of them really worked well. And well, the thing ended up on the shelf and it was sitting there until I saw this amazing video from our friend down in Australia, Paul, VK3 Hotel November, VK3HN. He recently built an AM receiver for the ham bands and for the shortwave bands. He built it exclusively for AM, but there were ideas in there that I wanted to incorporate into mine. First, Paul found these fantastic ceramic uh, 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 filters that have, they're at 455 KC, but with a bandwidth of 6 KC, 6 KCs wide at 455 KC, just what I need. Now, Pete, I also put in there, I, I replaced my original crystal filter with the mechanical filter that you had sent me several years ago. So that, that Toyo uh, filter that's in there, uh, I think it's Toyo, but it's a, a Japanese-made 455 KC filter in there that it, it, you sent me. That works great, but I needed broader a broader filter, so I have it switched in there so I could switch in the 6KC filter that, uh, that Paul in Australia recommended. I got it sent to me from a company in Australia called Mini Kits, and they, they sent it to me, and uh, it, it arrived very, very quickly. I mean, I, I placed the order on uh, 23 December, and, uh, and it got here on the 8th of January. So uh, really pretty cool. I think that was. I think that's right. Yeah. Um, no, wait a second. No, I, I ordered on, I ordered it on the eighth of December, and it got here on the twenty third of December. About the same amount of time. Around the same time, KK zero S heard me talking about this, and from Wichita, Kansas, he sent me similar filters that are ten KCs wide. So I am now like uh, I am. I am happy, and I've got a lot. Of, uh, of appropriately wide uh, filters. So anyway, I started poking around with the radio and with the receiver. First, I got the filter in there. I made up a little, couple little L network matching networks to match the impedance to the 50 ohms that the TIA shows. That worked out fine. It was no problem getting the other filter in there, and it's really very satisfying to flip the switch on the front of the panel and have it go from really narrow to, to fairly wide. But my problem, and this is this is kind of ironic, you know, you would think that it's easier to detect AM than it is to detect sideband or CW. Mm-hmm. But I found that not to be the case. You know, if, even if you're using a simple diode detector, to get it work right, you have to have you have to have the right level of IF signal at 455 KC coming into the diode. And that could be that could really vary a lot. You know, you could have really strong signals from shortwave broadcast stations. You could have really weak signals coming from uh, AM stations on the high end of the forty meter amateur band. Paul in Australia used a circuit called the Infinite Impedance Detector, and all it really is is a kind of a is a uh, an MPF one hundred and two or J three hundred and ten FET a junction FET end channel. And it's operating pretty much like an old triode would operate, with no bias on the grid, no bias on the gate. So when you have a 455kc signal coming in here, it's going to cause the diode to conduct only on half of the cycle of the incoming signal, which is essentially what a diode would do. But it just works better, and it sounds better. So I, I built one of these, and then it, then I entered... A tale of woe. 
<laughs> this happens sometimes when you're troubleshooting. And I all of a sudden, I, I kind of noticed that the gain in the receiver dropped really dramatically. It used to be a very sensitive receiver. I could hear with the receiver down to 130, negative 130 dBm, which is really sensitive. But now it wasn't nearly as sensitive. And I, I, don't, I couldn't figure out what had gone wrong. Everything seemed right. And, you know, I, I, I messed around with this thing probably for the better part of a week, just, you know, an hour or so each morning. But I was messing around with it far too long. And I, it, it seemed to work. It's just that the gain was way down. So I spent a lot of time checking the amplifiers to make sure all the amplifiers were working right and everything else. And um, no, nothing, everything was fine. And then I got a hint. I started looking at the audio. And there was a whole lot of 455 KC going into the audio amplifiers. The audio amplifiers were, were amplifying far more 455 KC signal than they were audio signal. And so I, I started thinking, something is wrong. Something is wrong with that SBL1 product detector that I have in there. Sure enough, it was, it was bad. It was the, I, and it, but it, was, it, it wasn't that it was partially working. It was just passing the 455 KC signal, and that signal was finding something not quite linear in the audio amplifier chain, and that's where the mixing was taking place with the BFO signal, and so I was hearing it. So it was like I, I was getting audio out. The receiver was working. It's just that the gain was way, way down because the SBL1 had gone bad. Those SBL1s are quite sensitive, as you've, you've, you've reminded me. And they're, they're sensitive to voltage fluctuations. They're also sensitive to too much input. Those little coils in there are, are, are really, really yeah. tiny. And the diodes are really kind of sensitive too. So if you put too much input, either from the signal or from the local oscillator or from, the, or from anything into there, you smoke could- Smoke them. Boom. You could let the magic smoke out, which is what I did. So anyway, as soon as I replaced the SBL1, everything came back to normal. Um, and, uh, but then I still found that I wasn't really getting the kind of AM detection that I wanted. So I, I just realized that I was not getting enough 455 KC energy to the, uh, to the infinite impedance detector. So I, I just built a little one amplifier stage at 455 KC and that presented enough of a signal to the infinite impedance detector to get it work to work. So it's a, it's a lot of fun with, because I have the, the tunable uh, bandpass filter at the front, I can do sort of what you were doing, tune on either side of zero beat when you were with the BitX40. What I can do is, you know, this, is a, this was always a problem with the IF at 455KC. The opposite sideband at the first mixer is only about, is only 910 KCs away, right? Right. So if you have a really strong signal there, if your bandpass filter isn't really sharp enough, some of that other signal can get through and you can start listening to shortwave broadcast at the same time. But my bandpass filter in the front, it's, got, it's, it's a dual tune circuit with a cap and then I've kept the Q really high because I got that 40673 presenting a very high impedance to the filter, right? Like one meg to the filter. So it's really sharp. And what I could do is I can swing that cap over to the left, and I'm not tuning the, the 40 meter band anymore. 
I now am tuning the 49 megahertz shortwave broadcast band. And I flip the switch and I go from the product detector to the infinite impedance detector. I throw another switch, I turn off the BFO, and Bob is your uncle. Shortwave yeah. broadcast comes pouring in. I've been listening to Ra Radio Romania has got an amazing shortwave service. Of course, China is there. Radio Marti out of South Florida, a station from Brazil. Brazil is big on the shortwave bands. It's because of the large, enormous geographic size of the country. And uh, that, that kind of contract, a holy roller station out of South Carolina, <laughs> they must be putting out multiple megawatts because it, they, this thing is so strong. And um, are, are you converted? Uh, it's Brother Stare. <laughs> oh, there you go. There He's you go. unlikely to convert. <laughs> um, but anyway, he he's on. I guess he's out of jail or something. I don't know. Whatever, whatever wherever there was, there was some problems there. Um, but anyway, I got this whole thing working. It, it took a lot of work, and it, you know, it's a simple problem. Most of the problem was caused by my, by my failure to check on whether the SBL one was good or not. And uh, and once I figured that out, well, everything fell fell into place. Also, it's it's really important, I think, when you're dealing, especially with a with a with a rig like this, you got to do a lot of shielding. I had a, when I was testing and working on stuff, I had a lot of little kind of just single wire leads going into the AF input of the amplifier, things like that, and that's that'll pick up a lot of AM detection. I, I'm in a really intense uh, RFI environment here. I was just looking at the map, one about one mile in one direction. I have a, a large tower with an FM radio station, I think at 100.3, Pete, 50,000 watts out, one yeah. mile away. On you got to steal some of that RF and run your rigs off it, you know? Yeah. Put a well, big actually, antenna up. And in the other direction, it? the other direction right down the road, it has a daytime, It's a, there's an AM station at, 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 at 1.120 megahertz, and it Ooh. puts out... 5,000 watts, not 50,000, but 5,000 watts during the day and like 50 watts at night. Uh, did, but Did you realize it's six harmonic? Is it 7.2 megahertz? I know. And, it's, it's, <laughs> and I, I, I got I to gotta be careful or I'll hear them. Yeah. But when I had my inverted L up for, for 160 meters, I, I could see their signal on my SWR meter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so uh, I, I beefed up the shielding. I took all those little lines and I replaced them with um, with uh, a kind of shielded cable that I had received from uh, my friend W8NSA. Uh, thanks, thanks for that. And then I, I also then once I put the, the the aluminum the top of the aluminum box that we got from Tim Sutton, a lot of the RFI problems went away. So shielding oh, yeah. is important with these kind of receivers. The, um, the sensitivity is still quite good. I checked it again, and I can discern signals down at 130, negative 130 dBm, which is, which is really sensitive. But I got to say, my AM receiver is not as nice as uh, Paul, VK3HNs. And uh, he's got uh, a video of his in action. And, I mean, I am envious. So I'm thinking about building just a standalone receiver, AM, the way Paul built his, he used an SI fifty three fifty one. He used the same filters, um, the same detector. It just seems a lot, a lot nicer. Also, there may be a whole lot more amateur AM activity down there, down under. 
But uh, take a look at Paul's video because it is inspirational and it has caused me to want to build a, a, a simpler AM only, only receiver. Anyway, Pete, that's what I've been working on. Speaking of things look nice, you had up in the blog the other Peter, that DK7 oh. sideband transceiver. Oh, man. With the backlit front panel. <laughs> Holy cow. Wow. Whoa. That, that uh, Peter Rakow, and I have it up yeah. on the blog. You know, usually I'll put a blog post up and I'll, I'll shoot it out on Twitter. That thing, I mean, it, it, it's like the ham radio equivalent of going viral because, I mean, it's more than a thousand views from my website. Peter, yeah. pe people were really stunned by the beauty and the, uh, the the care that went into building that rig. I put a little that's, joke that's, up there. That's I put like Rudolph, Rudolph Fisher's uh, receiver. Oh, man. I remember, yeah, I remember Rudolph Fisher's receiver, yeah. But this thing, Peter Rakow, and there's something about Peter. I mean, Pete, it seems to, to give people a special ability to do fantastic things in ham radio. But uh, I, I put I put up on the blog, your, your initial reaction was that you were, you were so kind of taken aback by the beauty of his construction that you you felt like you should just throw all your stuff away. I said, don't do yes. it, Pete, don't do it. <laughs> yes, it's Your depressing. rigs are nice too. <laughs> Um, yeah, that, that, that was pretty amazing. Um, oh yeah. In terms of miscellaneous stuff and talks about AM, I, I was trying, when, when I was working on all these different circuits, I turned to LT spice three cheers for LT spice. Oh I, yeah. I know a lot of guys haven't figured out how to use LT spice or haven't become familiar with it, but I really think you should. We also get questions from people about which simulator I should use LT spice. Because all of us are using it, and we can help you with LT Spice. Whereas if you go to some other simulator, we don't know what Control R does in the other simulators. We know what it does in LT Spice. Yeah. And for me, LT Spice is just just the way to the way to go. Um, but I was playing with this infinite impedance detector, and I realized that I needed a way to get an AM signal into the into the LT Spice simulation. So I started poking around on YouTube, and I found this guy who did the uh, 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 YouTube on how to how to create an AM signal in LT Spice. It's really pretty cool. I know you were playing with it a little bit. Yeah. And you can you can create an AM signal or a DSB signal. It's really easy. But I put the link of, link to it there, and so that that was uh, that was a lot of fun, and it was very useful because I'm able to put the the AM signal into the infinite impedance detector that I've built in LT Spice and see how much audio comes out at the other end, which is exactly what I'm trying to do in the real world, in the hardware world with the HRO-ish HRO receiver. But here, Pete, this is something else. In the real world, I needed to simulate an AM signal also. Aha, the signal generator, the HP signal generator that Steve Silverman gave to me. Oh, modulated. Yeah, and it's got, you know, that W2DAB that David carried across New York City in the subway for me to get. And there's one little switch there. You turn on the signal at 7.2. You throw the switch. AM, amp AM modulation. You can select how much modulation. You can select a 400 hertz tone or a 1,000 hertz tone. Brilliant. I mean, really Ooh. super useful. Thank you to Steve Silverman and thank you to Dave for that piece of test gear. That So I was able to, to create an AM signal both in the unreal world of LT Spice, 
the digital world and in the real world using the HP signal generator. It was just just a lot of fun. Really well, you cool. know, you know, the thing that was uh, cool about that video is I didn't realize you could look do a fast Fourier transform. Oh yeah, look see, look see, uh, an LT spice. I I I just never see that. After you figure out that you gotta you gotta actually display the plot, then you can see the FFT. But what I haven't found is how to be able to take like an audio amplifier and and to really take a look at it uh, in terms of uh, uh, you know signal performance. Now maybe you take those two signal sources and you actually run them through an amplifier. No, no, no. Yeah, you you just take there's that third little audio that is the mixer. You have th- three yeah. little sources. The third one is the yeah. mixer. You take yeah. the output from that. And you just draw draw a line over and put it into your audio amplifier. Oh, okay, okay. And then you look. Then you look at the. Then you look at the output from the audio amplifier. Uh, okay, got it. And you do the fast Fourier transformer on that. It's really that's that's what makes it super useful. Yeah, great yeah, stuff. Got it, got it. Okay. A uh, in, in the miscellaneous department that we you know, um, uh, Steve Silverman is our uh, lexicologist. He's in charge of uh, you know keeping track of and uh, and recording all the different terms that we have generated here over the years on the Solder Smoke podcast. Um, I guess words and and phrases, phrases are also considered. But um, Paul, VK3HN, he has a, n- a new video up after the one about the AM receiver. He, he, he went out uh, kind of summiteering, mountaintopping in uh, Summits on the Air in, in Australia. Wow, they went out to a site it was a beautiful sight, but there were anthills up there. And it's painful to watch the video because the ants are crawling all over these guys and all over the rigs. Ooh. And they persevered to make, I think you're required to make four contacts from the top of the mountain. So, but it was, I mean, holy, wow, they had some ants there. I would have bailed, but they hung in there. But Paul had his rig that he takes to the field and he has written across the top of the rig. <laughs> and I got a real kick out of this. It says, um, uh, this machine kills kilowatts. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> That's the spirit. Um, and they were up there. They were up there with uh, with somebody. And I, 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 the the other guy. He's obviously American from the accent. And they were riding around in his Porsche, coming down from. Once they got off the mountain, they drove back in his uh, his uh, his Porsche. And I'm thinking that's an American Specs Porsche because it looked like the driver was on the wrong side of the road. Tell me if that's that's true, Paul. But the whole thing was very cool, and wow, you guys hung in there. Speaking of mountain topping, uh, another uh, Summit on the Air guy has come to my attention, and this fella is really amazing. Kanji, Yankee Charlie 3, Kilo November Juliet, on the other side of the planet, 10,000 miles Short path, 14,000 miles long path from my QTH. Uh, Kanji is an enthusiast of CW and of mountain topping and of simple gear. And he does a whole bunch of other stuff too. He's, he's, he's a really interesting guy. And he's made some really beautiful uh, YouTube videos. And I've put links to them up on the Solder Smoke blog. But he shows you how he takes his rig is the mountain topper. He takes oh, it out. Yeah. And it shows how he operates from these really kind of exotic, up in the rainforest uh, mountaintops in on on the island of Java, in in Indonesia. Wow! And also, he makes amazing Java 
when he's up there. Now, you know, as a as a guy who likes a cup of coffee, one of the things that scares me about the Summit on the Air stuff is that you might find yourself up there early in the morning with no coffee, which would be yeah. rough. Not to fear, because Kanji obviously is a coffee aficionado too, and he shows in the course of his videos how he makes coffee in the field. He, ha he actually brings with him a very simplified version of a drip coffee maker, but he also fi has figured out how to make espresso coffee in the field and mm. he calls it qr peso there you go <laughs> hey hey you won't believe what just flashed on my screen what's that a message from the guy that sent you the message that you could he couldn't get the amazon block on 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 the solder smoke page. i saw that this morning <laughs> I got that. He too. just flashed to me and says, by mistake. And I, I didn't see the rest of it, but evidently it, it's for him, it's working. Oh, well, good. <laughs> Cha ching. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I got know. a message from earlier. I haven't seen that one. Wow. Yeah. They must be just, listening just, to us. Pete. Just flashed. I didn't want to, I didn't want to touch it because I'm liable to screw something up here. But I said, oh, there it is. <laughs> well, that's good. That's great. All right, Pete. Time for QRP mailbag. I mean, not QRP mailbag. Solder smoke mailbag. What am I saying? There you I got go. QRP on the mind. Um, anyway, um, we've been getting a lot of email from our friend Dean KK4DAS. Oh, what an amazing journey he's taking! It's amazing. He's doing. He's fantastic, and he, he doesn't. He doesn't. He hasn't been melting solder for a long time, but he got that might, made for the mighty midget um, Michigan mighty might M3 M cubed uh, going, <laughs> and <laughs> and he has done what few others have done. He has been listening for himself on the, the web SDR receivers, and he was picked up, and I think this is a case of the radio gods have spoken, he was picked up by a web SDR receiver at your alma mater at Penn State. Yeah. The radio gods have spoken. Wow. Nonetheless, what's interesting to see is how his journey suddenly took him to a, from from having not a lot of test gear to a Rigel scope. <laughs> he's, he's into it, and so yeah, yeah. yeah this, is, this is really he's great. hooked. But you know, my question is, where is the rest of the Color Burst Liberation Army? I don't know. How come Dean is the only one to take that Michigan Mighty Might? connect it to an antenna and transmit and then listen for himself either on the reverse beacon network or on the many, many, many web SDR receivers out there. Guys, you should hang your heads in shame. If you have a Michigan Mighty Might receiver gathering dust on the shelf in your ham shack and you have not attempted to put this thing on the air, I, I, I you know, I, I'm not going to say anything because this is a friendly show, but give it a try. Try it out. Send us a report. Let us know where you're being heard. Those Michigan Mighty Mites were built. They generate RF. They should be given a chance to send some signals into the ionosphere. Give them a try. Let us know what happens. It's, it's easy. It's fun. You probably won't get arrested. <laughs> well, well, the uh, thing that's interesting with the scope is he, he looked at the output without a low-pass filter. And then he put a low-pass filter on it and took a look at it. And it was a lot better looking signal. So, I mean, he's, he's linking, you, you know using the test equipment he has to discern uh, what what's the proper operation of the equipment. The other thing is uh, he has a two-stage amplifier, audio amplifier, 2N3904LM386. And um, so, you, you know, he's developing skills like trying to isolate. If your output's not very good, it, it could be one of two pieces and you can't, you got to take them individually. So, I mean, developing a fault tree analysis uh, process 
I mean, using his scope, he's he's really able to, uh, you, you know, do something more than just change that, switch that, move that there. Right. Well, you know, so I, I think that that's really valuable, and that, that's the importance. And and you know what? Those scope prices have come down. He he got a 200 megahertz Rigol for what I paid for 100 megahertz uh, about a year and a half ago. Three cheers for Rigol. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Great stuff. Hey, but, but you know, you mentioned about being concerned and i kind of joked about you probably won't get arrested but this gets to something that i saw eric guth 4z1 ug our friend eric over there in israel interviewed a, a really great homebrew boat anchor guy michael murphy wu2d michael yeah. has a, a wonderful youtube channel uh, microwave and uh, eric interviewed him and he made a comment that really you know resonated with me and he talked about how when you're home brewing really simple gear, when you're home brewing like 1930s era transmitters and everything else and, and working on stuff, he, as he put it, you're going to collect a certain amount of wallpaper. You're going to get notes from official observers, maybe even occasionally <laughs> from the FCC. <laughs> and if you get yeah. so spun up about this stuff, you're gonna, and then you get, become paralyzed with fear and concern that you could either easily convince yourself never to homebrew anything. And I think that would be a mistake. Um, yeah. So I, I just think it's time to, you know, kind of keep things in perspective. Uh, and uh, with, with I'm, not, I'm not advocating the violation of FCC standards. I'm just saying you shouldn't let fear of, you know, transgressing uh, prevent you from trying to build something. I mean... That the perfect can be the enemy of the good enough, and I well, mean, I remember when they were talking about the the, the microbitx, and there was a tremendous kind of controversy <laughs> because one of the uh, one of the, the the spurs was like thirty seven dB down from the main carrier, and the specs required it to be forty dB down, and people were getting all concerned and worried, and you could tell from the email that there was genuine. Face noise, oh face noise, face huh. noise. Oh, okay. Well, enough of that. Hey, um, but 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 at the same time, uh, you got to have some reasonability. You you've got to think about when you put a signal on the air, you better have a low pass filter on that. Oh yeah, at, I mean that's at just, least that's just basic. And that's easy to that's do. Basic, yeah. That's, that's easy. Basic. Absolutely, yeah. Sure. Yeah. That's, that's you know, two caps and a coil from in most cases, and you're yeah. good. So yeah, yeah definitely. Um, Hey, uh, thanks to Don. Don sent us a kind donation to the Solder Smoke Cause already put Ooh, to good, good use. Thank you, Don. Hey, got a got got a solder smoke bit of solder smoke feedback from China. And Ooh. and I've, I've frequently commented about how little interaction we have with China, which is surprising given the enormous population and the enormously high level of technical ability there. But Dale, Bravo Alpha 4, Tango Bravo, sent us a nice note. Uh, commenting on one of the pieces that we put up on the blog. I think he was impressed by the uh, aeronautical mobile contact oh, yeah. from the Dominican Republic. But it was great to hear from you, uh, Dale. And uh, please send us more. Send us information on what's happening, if you can, about uh, ham radio in, in China. I understand there are some restrictions, but uh, it's it's really interesting to hear what our fellow radio amateurs are doing in that uh, that enormous and enormously interesting country. So thanks, Dale. Well, well let me add a, a piece to that. Um, I, I put some of the radios on Whisper just to detect, see how well they're detecting signals. 
And uh, every once in a while, I'd see a uh, uh, a station from China, uh, you know, Bravo Alpha 4 or something like that. Of late, that's now about five or six stations. Hmm. So so you can see that, you know, it's starting to grow, uh, that there's more stations being op- operated on, on Whisper, and uh, I'm sure FT8 and, and what have you. So, I mean, just in the last couple of months, because, uh, as I said, my, my interest in Whisper is just how good's the receiver, I, I'm starting to spot more stations. So that's got to tell you something, that the, the activity is growing. Excellent. Excellent. Keep it up. Yes, we hope to see more. Uh, Steve Silverman. We was I was we were talking about um, keys and the keys that I was using and also the keys that uh, that Kanji uh, YK uh, YC three KNJ was using. He has this great system where he built this little uh, kind of paddle keyer and he attaches it to the side of the mountain topper with these powerful niodium. I hope I'm present, pronouncing that right. Battery um, uh, magnets. Really oh, cool. magnets! Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Never get them off. I'm thinking <laughs> I'm thinking about doing that with with uh, with, with perhaps a straight key. Steve uh, said that you know basically that side swipers and bugs were initially created to deal with the carpal tunnel syndrome of the day. We always heard about this, like uh, what yeah. they called crystal arm or glass arm, a yeah, glass arm, yeah. where the telegraph operator, because he was sending such huge volume of CW up and down, it was really damaging the wrists in much the same way that people who type a lot suffer. Uh, it's, and it's a real thing. But it made me think that you know, with the very little amount of CW that I do, I don't have to worry about that. So maybe I should just stick with straight keys because simplicity is my thing. And I, I realized that you could end up with a situation where the, the circuitry in your keyer is far more complicated than the circuitry in your transceiver. Yeah. That just doesn't seem right. Yeah. So I don't know. I might just stick with, with straight keys. Also, Straight keys are experiencing a huge resurgence now with the Straight Key Century Club, SKCC. When you get on uh, on the CW bands right now, uh, more often than not, somebody is going to send you their SKCC number. And people collect it, and, and a lot of guys are out there with straight keys. And if you're careful, you can generate you know perfectly acceptable CW without the benefit of all those Logic Typing gates. it in a computer and have the computer generate the characters. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, uh, thanks for the, that observation there, there Steve. Um, Peter. Hey, he- hey, I want I want to mention a great place to purchase magnets, really cheap, really powerful magnets. Where's that? All electronics out here in California. Yeah. All electronics, and they have a really super duper magnet, a really strong one. They they have a warning in there that don't put it on something because you may not get it off. And I think it's like three bucks. You know, there's there's a couple things you got to watch out for with the magnets, and we, you know, we're not kind of uh, nanny state people here, warning everybody about the dangers. But when you get those really powerful magnets, you know, one of the things you got to do is you got to keep them away from your eyes. Ooh, you know why? No, because if you've been working around shops the way we have, you might have somewhere Particles. on the outer surface of your eye a small bit of metal, right? Yeah. And it's probably, it may be sitting there for a long time on the surface of your eye. You move that magnet close to your eye, and it'll Ooh. pull that piece of metal right across the eyeball. Ooh. Ooh. I'm, I'm, I'm in pain. I'm don't, in pain Don't already. do that. Yeah. Here's the other thing you got to watch out for with these magnets, especially the small ones. If a kid swallows one, Ooh. you know, it could be super fatal. Because now yeah. it's going through 
the digestive tract, right? Yeah. It's a really powerful magnet. They get close to the refrigerator door. Huh. Stuck to the door. Yeah. No, I go. mean, it'll, it'll go through the small intestine, right? Ooh. Wow. Wow. So, I mean, things you got to worry about. But Ew. yeah, be careful with those <laughs> you, powerful. You brightened my day, Bill. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry, but you, know, <laughs> you worry about this stuff, and we we mentioned it actually. Here. Um, you have to also be careful of injury. Sometimes it'll jump out of your hand, and if you got your hand someplace, you can actually smash your finger. Well, I'm telling you, it's yeah, yeah, scary stuff here. Anyway, um, uh, Peter VK8 VWA writes to us uh, about kit building and about the fact that he thinks that the knowledge that he gains from building kits is rather limited compared to the knowledge that he gains from actually home brewing and of course i think we can both agree with him right yes i do and now there's a place for kits lately i've been building kits and that is because for example especially on these like these af uh, audio frequency filters uh, it just saves me a lot of time to get the kit, to throw the chip on the board, solder, 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 it's done in about an hour, where it would take a whole lot more time if I was to do it home brewing and trying to figure it all out. So there's a place for that. But Peter, I think you're right. Another Peter, VK8, VWA. Yeah. Uh, he listens to the podcast while watch, walking on the beach in Australia here in, in February. That's an image that we, we really kind of like. Um, but uh, but but good observation yeah, Peter. And I, I agree with you. And I think... Uh, N6QW is in accord also. Yeah. Alan well, you know, Hale. the thing, the I'm sorry, thing is, uh, I was going to say, the thing is, a lot of these kits that are, are useful are not primary radios, but accessories. And, yeah, yeah. You know, you want to you wanna spend your time on the primary radio and, and the accessories just some, yeah. Well, you know, like the audio filter or the, uh, I, I'm not sure you had to build the uh, antenna tuner that came as a completed unit but that's just something that's an accessory so you know you want you want to invest your time in primary radio stuff not not building things that uh you you can just buy and put together like you say in an hour and you're you're in you're in business then yeah and here's the thing for me i'm i'm doing this stuff for a micro bit x which is already even beyond a kit because the board came to me fully 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 so i don't need to be kind of a purist here now if i'm working on a on one of my uh, my rigs that is completely homebrew in my mind i like to keep it completely homebrew so i wouldn't use a kit in conjunction with those really homebrew rigs but yeah, when i'm building something that i'm just going to attach to the micro bit x which was already built by somebody else you know kits are okay I and mean, this is everybody has different kind of ways of looking at it that's the way i kind of look at it uh alan hale writes to us that he's about he he, he commented on my uh piece about the um, the wild woody uh, keys wild woody keys wild woody work keys from Dave Ingram K four TWJ is that just called key TWJ yeah he's a, he's a silent key now I know I know and Dave I, I I worked him several times from the Dominican Republic and I also worked him with a homebrew rig from Virginia here one time and told him with the rig that I he had inspired the construction of the rig he was he had always had some great ideas oh yeah but he made these keys out of just ordinary clothespins and uh, sent them around to people he put serial numbers on them and had some fun but it just shows you how simple it is to make uh, a straight key and um, anyway uh, I, I said that we need to use more we need to make more use of clothespins in ham radio Alan came right back and showed us a picture of a little holder 
that he had made from a clothespin. Toroid, yeah. For, for holding toroids while winding them. And this prevents your fat fingers from getting involved in messing up the, the wire. So thanks, uh, Alan, for yet another use of ordinary clothespins as t- uh, in ham radio. I used clothespins to hold up the 15-meter the element below my 20-meter dipole in the Dominican Republic. Now, I probably should have varnished them. I didn't. But because every time it rained, they would get soaked with water and the SWR would change. <laughs> but usually when it was dry, it worked okay. But anyway, uh, uh, thanks, thanks for that, Alan. Um, Pete, another Pete, another Pete. I'm telling you, there's something about the name Pete as, in Ham Radio Genius. Pete, WB9FLW, writes to us about a 100-watt uh, amplifier oh, yeah. designed by LWA2EUJ. He won the design contest that we talked about not long ago. And after I looked at this, I found the video. The video is up on the Solder Smoke blog. It describes the 100-watt amplifier that WA2EUJ used to win the design contest using this particular new... Uh, NXP. NXP. Uh, the, the NXP NXP design contest. Yeah. Really good. Check it out. And there's also a link there on the blog to where you can get the boards to build this this amplifier. I think Small. it's one in 100 watts out. Small. Stable. All the way up to up through like 6 meters. Down to 160. Good stuff. Great stuff. Finally, uh, Pete, we <laughs> this was an email that I got a real kick out of. Uh, Dave Wilcox, K-8-W-P-E, long time. Oh, yeah, Dave. <laughs> I, I might be confused. I think this is Doc Wilcox. I no, think yeah, he's he is. A doctor. Yeah, yeah. So this is a medical question. Yeah. And and, it, and it's, it's important. Now, he refers back to the construction of the Michigan Mighty Might. And as you know, we, we use pill bottles as the coil form in the Michigan Mighty Might. Now... I, when I started building this stuff, I didn't have a whole lot of empty pill bottles around. So I had to go down to the pharmacy and ask them for empty pill bottles. And they were suspicious. They thought I might be using them for illicit, you know, drug-related purposes. But uh, anyway, I managed to, to, to score a few empty pill bottles from the local CVS. But now, um, guys are using pill bottles just when they finish up with their whatever meds they're taking. They take it there. And uh, Doc asks a question. He says, "Does do the Michigan Mighty Mites work differently depending on what kind of medicine was originally in the pill bottle?" Yes. <laughs> he suggests, for example, there's this new, and you'll see it in the pharmacies. We see it here. You're probably you're probably seen it in California a long time ago, Pete. But uh, that there's this stuff called CBD, Charlie Bravo yes. Delta. Yeah, hemp. Well, which is an extract from the, the the marijuana plant. Yeah. If you go to Whole Foods, they've got a whole whole, whole CBD section there. CBD yeah. soap, CBD facial cream, CBD everything. And Dave wonders whether we should be taking some of the CBD stuff and smearing it on the coils or the crystals of our uh, our homebrew transceivers. Yes. Um, and my, my response was that if, if this effect is proven to be correct, well, anything that could mellow out the ham bands a little bit, especially 75 and 40 meter single sideband, would be a very big improvement. So maybe we should build some of these coils. I don't know if, they, if there was sort of like a, kind of, a, I don't know, kind of a anti-anxiety medication or tranquilizers or something like that. Psychotropic drugs. And so, <laughs> 
it could it could have some beneficial effects on some of our uh, amateur yes. frequencies. We'll just leave yes. it at that, Pete. But uh, yes. interesting observation there, Dave, and thank you for sharing that with us. And let's all think about this as we select the uh, the coil forms for our next uh, homebrew transmitter. Try to use a try to use a coil form from a, a medication that will have a, a salubrious effect on the radio amateur frequencies. There you go, Pete. That's all I have. We've rambled on. We're at one hour thirty minutes. Thirty-two minutes and 32 fifty-seven minutes seconds. And counting. <laughs> yeah. There you go. You got anything else? No, I I, I don't. But I, I'm going. Well, I do have one thing. Uh, as we ended up uh, 2019, I said, stay tuned in 2020 for uh, some exciting things that are going to be happening. And and we're only one month. One month into 2020, and already you can see a lot of products showing up like the TC4 and a whole bunch of other things, uh, products that are coming to market, and, and you can see, uh, you know, dramatic impact. They're, they're influencing what we're going to be doing here for the rest of the year. So it's really exciting. I mean, my, my prediction already 30 days into, 31 days into the year, coming true. Absolutely. It's going to be a great year for home brewing. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna try to do more podcasts during 2020. There you go. More than we've done before. So thanks very much, Pete. Thanks for getting up early out there on the on the on the West Coast. And uh, I'll just say seven three from Northern Virginia. Yeah, seven three from the left coast. Ciao, Pete. Ciao. Ooh, that's awesome. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at cafepress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!